Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. See, my wife taught preschool for the first 15 years of our marriage. That means I have heard a preschool song for every occasion. And I have to tell you, it's annoying. So I'm on a road trip, and in my head are 80s lyrics, driving music. But coming from the passenger seat is something from Barney. So this has given me a wealth of information. If I go to the zoo, I can pack a snack in a sack for every letter of the alphabet. Not sure how useful that skill is. True story. We were at at SeaWorld this summer, and I heard so much about baby beluga in the deep blue sea. And if you grew up on Rafi, you understand, all right? Now, this gets really annoying because sometimes she's not even there, but the lyrics are here in the back of my head. So I love being in the outdoors. I love Idaho. I have, in fact, on occasion gone bear hunting. But somewhere in the back of my head, it's going on a bear hunt. And if you know this, you know it's a a repeat thing. We're going on a bear hunt. Okay, stop for a second, because I'm old enough that when I was shorter, it was, I've got my trusty gun and my bullets at my side. Not exactly politically correct. Now it's binoculars or something, which is great for finding bear, not great for hunting bear. Just FYI, if you're ever in the wilderness. So I'm actually in the wilderness in Idaho, and I'll come to tall grass that I need to get through. And you got to be quiet. And at some point in my head, it's swishy, swashy, swishy, swashy. If you grew up with this song, you know that it is an automatopoetic journey through various obstacles that actually occur in the wilderness of Idaho. So you know, if you know the song, that when you come to each obstacle, tree, river, grass, you you have the repeat thing. You can't go over it. Can't go go under it. Wait, stop. That's what subversion is. Subversion is when you come to an obstacle that you can't go under you actually do go under it. The kingdom of God, established by Jesus, is higher than anything else, but it wins by subverting, going under the other kingdoms. Today, we're going to see an example of that. Let me give you a quick history lesson to get you caught up to where we are in the text of Second. But there was one city that kept resisting. They kept holding out. They could not conquer and hold the city called Jabus. Fast forward 400 years past Joshua, and you get a king, and his name is David, and he says, I want that city. The residents of Jabus, they say, nah, we're on a city on a hill. We've got big, tall walls. We've got an army. You can't come in here. And in fact, they mock from the walls and say, even lame and blind people could hold this city. We don't even need soldiers. What does he do? David's army goes under the city. They subvert the walls. He actually goes in through a water shaft and conquers that city and renames it Jerusalem. 
It becomes a very important city from that day forward. Going under the wall is subversion. True story, I'm going over the sermons last night in my backyard, and my wife's miniature schnauzer keeps going under the fence. That's subversion. The big dog can't fit under it. See? Subversive. Also, possibly demon-possessed, but you know. <laughs> when you look up the definition for subversion, you will typically see not a definition but examples, and it'll have something to do with undermining authority or undermining the government. Things like riots are subversive, but those are examples more than a definition. So I'm going to suggest to you today, we view subversion as denial of power. I just subverted the standard definition, which is actually an example. Now, I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, the practical application for subversion in this message does not include resisting God's authority. It does not include things like being late to class or missing curfew or disrespecting your RA. That is subversion, but it's not the subversive way of God's kingdom. Let's go back to history lesson. So you fast forward 300 years past David. He establishes Jerusalem by subverting, going under the walls. 300 years later, we meet another king in Jerusalem because this story is all about kings. So 300 years later, we meet a king by the name of Ahaz. Say Ahaz. Ahaz. Now, for, for those of you that are here for your first year, by the time you're a senior, you're still not going to remember these names, but you will at least have, <laughs> you will at least have heard them at some point. So we've got a king in Jerusalem, and his name is Ahab, and he faces a threat. When he faces a threat, he does not rely on God. He does not try subversion at all. He plays straight to power. The only way for him to deal with the threat is to go to power. He's threatened by his neighbors, so he goes to a bigger power. He contacts the king of Assyria, the biggest power in the world. His name is Tiglath-Pileser III, but it's okay, you don't have to remember that. But he's got a massive army. He's got great strategy. And he's not afraid to kill people by the thousands. And let me tell you, from a military standpoint, this works. The Assyrians know how to conquer everyone in their path. So how does King Ahaz deal with a threat from his neighbors? He goes to that kind of power. And the threat's avoided. That's the standard use of power. But there's a problem. What happens when you give a mouse a cookie? He's going to want a glass of milk. What happens when you pay off a bully? It's never enough. You have to keep paying the bully. But there's a bigger problem because King Ahaz starts to look more and more like this powerful Assyrian king and that leads to idolatry and more and more trouble. So now we meet the king at the center of this story. He's the son of Ahaz. He's the descendant of David, king of Jerusalem. His name is Hezekiah. Now, I have to tell you, there's a student in this room whose name was supposed to be Hezekiah. His mother wouldn't let me, so it didn't happen. So let's recap. We have these kings, right? Ahaz is the king of Judah, reigning in Jerusalem, the city that David conquered by subversion. 
When he's threatened, what does he do? He plays to power. That leads to more threats. That leads to idolatry. By the time he's done, God's beautiful temple has been closed. He dies. His son Hezekiah becomes king, and the peasants rejoice. Hezekiah opens up the temple. He tears down the idols. He points the people back to God. But the Assyrian bully still wants money. There's a new king of Assyria by the name of Sennacherib. And he's made things so much worse. Hezekiah stops paying him. And so now this massive Assyrian threat that was once hired to help shows up at his door, shows up at Jerusalem. Power monger is there to kill. When you've paid the bully to deal with the pest, then what do you do? When the bully has conquered everyone else and now threatens you, what do you do? You bow or you die. That's exactly what Hezekiah does, but let me set the stage. Let me set the stage from Scripture. King of Assyria sends his massive army to Jerusalem. And he sends a message to King Hezekiah that we read in 2 Kings 19. I'm going to have it on the screen for you today. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Sounds very formal and nice, right? Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria? Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. Shall you be delivered? And then he goes and he names five kings that the Assyrians have whooped. He names one more king that's on the way that they're going to conquer as well. They say two things. The king of Assyria can and has done everything he says. Every city, every king in front of him, he just conquered. Second thing, Jerusalem is God's special city. But he has never said that it is impregnable. In fact, he said, if you sin, the city will fall. And we know from history that that happens on a number of occasions. So what would you do? Now, there's not an army standing outside our borders threatening to kill us. But what do you do when the threat comes? What do you do when the threat comes on social media? How dare you Christians be so judgmental against, fill in the blank, any group. How dare Christians be so discriminatory? You need to be more like us. And sometimes threats come through official means. You need to be more like us. This is the way the world works. And if you're not like us, we will threaten you. We will sue you. We will shut you down. That's not theoretical. That's real. Well, if that doesn't happen to you, if it's on social media, we will merely belittle you until we silence you. For the past few months, I've noticed something on social media. It's become very trendy for Christians to make light of the uniqueness of the grace that comes through the cross. They belittled it. In the past few months, it has become so common for Christians to mock other Christians and say, your political view, your stance on something, your is just inferior. 
and it can feel like very powerful and very real threats. Meanwhile, while all this is going on, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are facing physical threats. Legitimate threats, and they are dying in numbers that will never be reported. And what do we do? They're mocked. People with guns are showing up at the doors of churches saying, your God is not powerful enough to defeat us. What do we do when we hear stories like that? Let me back out and point, point out another thing from King Hezekiah. Because up to this point, he's done so much that is right. He's doing things God's way. He's doing things the way you're supposed to. The Bible says he followed the Lord God like no other king. He tore down idols. He restored worship. He went beyond that. He did the practical. He armed the people against this enemy that's coming. He repairs the walls. And in fact, he subverts his own walls. And he builds a tunnel so that they can get water in the time of war. It's a big deal. But after he's done all this, He's absolutely powerless. The Assyrian king is more powerful. Hezekiah cannot beat him. Even though he loves God, even though he's done all the right things, this king is more powerful than he is. And that is the context when Hezekiah prays in our verse for today. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, say enthroned. You are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Hezekiah bows. But he bows to a king that is bigger than this world. In fact, Hezekiah bows in subversion. The solution by power is obvious. Hezekiah's father had saved himself by bowing to a king that is more powerful. That only led to more trouble. This evil Assyrian king, a generation later, has conquered many others. The kings that did not bow to him were killed. Their cities were leveled. Their citizens were tortured by the thousands. The obvious solution seems to be to bow to this king, this powerful king. I can't see any other way to save the city and the people of God. But subversion is the denial of power. Hezekiah denies the power, the apparent power of a great king, and he physically bows himself before the God who is actually enthroned. That doesn't make sense. How does going to a temple and praying deal with the actual threat of dying? In chess, a king can move one space at a time, but a king can be conquered by the weakest piece that can also only move one space at a time. Some of you play chess are going, nah, except when it's done subversively. 
When a pawn moves silently one space at a time to the other side of the board, it becomes powerful enough to conquer the king. Last week, Dr. Voorhees read us from Zechariah, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Hezekiah had done everything else, and now he prays, and it's all up to God. Have you prayed about the threatening power that is in front of you? Dr. Voorhees called that subversive. But now, here's the hard part. As if remembering to pray isn't hard enough. Can we be honest about that? The hard part is, it's up to God. He does not have to do what we ask. It's up to him whether or not he intervenes. There's another part of the story that I left out. Hezekiah's got a friend and he's got a mentor. This mentor knew Hezekiah's dad. He kept trying to tell him, do things God's way. Don't talk to the Assyrians. This God is really, really powerful. You see, this friend knew of God's power because he had seen it. He had seen God with angels all around him, high and lifted up on a throne. And you may know this friend as the prophet Isaiah. You see, I wonder if one of the reasons Hezekiah could pray to the God who was enthroned is because his friend had actually seen God on a throne. Isaiah's a player in all this. Here's the application for you. Listen to those who are speaking the word of God in truth. But you know what? In order to hear that voice, you may need to wade through a lot of swishy-swashy and splishy-splashy to hear that clear voice. You'll have to be discerning. Hezekiah listened to the voice of the prophet when he's got the voice of the powerful Assyrian king, and he's got the voice of his messengers, and he's got the voices of his own people saying, give up. This is hopeless. He has to wade through all that and listen to the prophet who's the only one speaking the word of God. The voice of God is often clear, but it's overwhelmed by other voices, loud voices, logical voices, seductive voices, and just so much noise. But Dr. Voorhees also reminded us that sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice. Are we listening? When Hezekiah bows to the God who is enthroned, his language, listen to the response of his friend, the prophet Isaiah. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. God has heard all of this, and he takes it personally. And then he gives a response several verses later. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. Lots of verses in between, but the bottom line, the voice of God says, this big bully won't even touch your city. Do you believe it? Hezekiah and his father had both been threatened by power. His father, small power, so he plays to a bigger power. Bigger power threatens Hezekiah. Ahaz appealed to power. And one 
but the long-term consequences were fatal. Hezekiah denied that power by bowing, by bowing to the God who is truly enthroned, something he believed, but his friend Isaiah had actually seen. Subversion is the denial of power. Now, it may be simple to say, well, Hezekiah just bowed to another bigger power. I think there's more to it than that. Hezekiah recognized there's a bigger king. He sits on a bigger throne. He's bigger than all of those kings of all of those nations. He's bigger than the powerful king of Assyria. Hezekiah bowed to the king who was enthroned on high. What about us? Can we deny power that is so obvious in front of us and bow to the one who is actually enthroned? even when we can't see a way out. We may have a tendency to resist, but subversion helps us discern which power to resist. And what if the subversive answer doesn't give you a way out? Even after hearing this news, Isaiah says, he's not coming in this city. He won't even touch it. You're fine. If you read the rest of that text, or you will be in a couple of years. See what's going on in the rest of that time? That army stays camped outside of the city for at least 18 more months. Do you have the trust to bow before the God who is enthroned when it doesn't look like it? doesn't matter. This is the right thing to do. And King Hezekiah keeps doing it. The subversive kingdom way is denying power. For us, deny the seductive power of comfort by spending time serving. Deny the seductive power of vice by focusing on what is holy. That's not as easy as it sounds. Deny the seductive power of being right and demanding my rights by giving them up like Jesus did and submitting to authority. Deny the elusive power of what is popular by bowing to the real king with real power. I love what Dr. Voorhees said. If you preach second week in chapel, you can just quote first week in chapel. It works great, preaching majors. But I love what Dr. Voorhees said. He said, prayers and parables don't bully us. We submit to them, and then they can allow God to lead us. That's where God can do what he wants. And by the way, he could have said no. He does sometimes. This is how I've tried to apply this to my life. In my prayers over Afghanistan, I've prayed for believers to be protected, and I've prayed for the enemy to be defeated, but mostly I've prayed that the real king will be known. And I'm going to let him sort it out. When I was in high school, there was this cute girl at church that played the piano, and so I paid real close attention. And she used to play this song by Twyla Paris called He is Exalted, and I loved that song. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high, and I will praise him. How often do we sing words like that? Enthroned, exalted king, I will bow, I will do that. Challenge to you, when we sing those words together in chapel, Think about those words. Think about what they mean. Engage your brain along with your voice and the raising of your hands and remember that that king is truly 
enthroned. But beyond that, in the next crisis, some of you are going through one right now, in the next crisis, remember that the king is still enthroned. Whether it seems like the walls are crumbling around you or you're scrolling through social media and it just feels like you cannot possibly respond with the narrow-minded view of Jesus. Do you obey the threat or the perceived threat? Or do you obey the king, the real king? He is above all kingdoms and all powers over the earth because he created the earth. The way of the subversive kingdom is to bow to him and let him sort out the details. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.